You are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. on the web at seu.edu slash apex or email us at seuapex at icloud.com. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. All right. Well, welcome back. It's Thursday. So that means it's time for the Apex Hour. This is Lynn Vartan, and you're listening to Thunder 91.1. Today, we had such an awesome experience and such an awesome event. And we have our wonderful guests joining us in the house, in the studio today. Dr. Elizabeth Churchill is here. And already today, she has given a public talk to our students, staff, and faculty. She's visited uh, information design class and also an advanced web web design class, and now she's here in the studio. So a warm welcome to you, Dr. Churchill. Hello there. Thanks so much for having me here. I'd like to start by talking about your background. You've been so uh, open with talking about your path and your um, extremely varied career. And I'd like maybe you to, to recount that for our new listeners today. I know that you are primarily started with psychology, but some people don't know maybe that you had a French background also. Oh, my French background. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, uh, when I left uh, home to go to university, originally I had planned uh to to learn French. And I went to do French literature. And everybody thought that, you know, that would be my career translation work, you know, maybe if I was really lucky, I could work in an embassy or something and, you know, (laughs) do translation. But I always had a passion for psychology. And so when I arrived at university, I walked across campus and asked the psychology department if they would, you know, admit me, and then I could just, you know, read French books on my own. But I, I think my parents were a bit shocked, but I haven't looked back. Did, any idea where that passion for psychology came from? I mean, were you just really interested in behavior from a young age or watched your friends? And I mean, any idea where that came from? I don't know. I've always been very social. My yeah. mom used to say that she didn't know where I came from because she wasn't super social. But I've always been very outgoing, and very social. And I was actually born and brought up in India. Ah, right. And I moved to England. And so I think the change of context of seeing how people behave in different places and how people in warm, sunny climates are different from people in cold, rainy climates. I was, uh, you know, sort of seven going on eight when I moved. So, you know, I think I just became fascinated with people as well as just really, really enjoying the company of people. And so understanding people and helping people and, you know, just understanding humanity has always meant a lot to me. As a seven or eight year old, what did, what did you notice about the warm climate, cologne climate? That's fascinating to me that you would even be cognizant of that at that age. Oh, I don't know. Um, being in Britain, everybody seemed to be just a bit stiffer and a bit more in a hurry. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I think, um, there was a a, many different social protocols. And, you know, one, whenever you go abroad, you have to learn what are the polite ways to behave, you know, how do I, how do I make eye contact? You know, how does body language change? Do people tend to like jam up against you in the metro or do they keep 
distance. Right. So I think, you know, when I arrived, it just, it, England seemed very different. Yeah. And although, you know, my parents are British and we had visited before, living there and going to school and being part of the sort of British world yeah. just seemed very different from being in India, running around in the garden and, you know, doing other kinds of things. So I think it was very, it was a very big difference, but fascinating. Oh, that's so interesting and amazing. And then you, you've also, of course, live, you live currently in the United States and you've spent time also in Japan. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Tell me a little bit about, did you live in Japan? I, no, I worked for a Japanese company. Ah. And so for, um, gosh, about eight years, I guess, I was going back and forth to Japan um, and spending time over there. And for the last couple of years, very intensively. So I would go back and forth very regularly. And there was a little apartment that I would stay in there that the company had. Um, and, and that was just an, an amazing experience. Absolutely right. amazing. Yeah. yeah. And do you, do you feel that you have strong influences from I'm sure from all of those different places and now also from the US as well. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. But I think the biggest influence is um, to stay open minded and never to think that there is only one way of doing something and always to be try and be polite and respectful within the terms of the place you are now in. Yeah, I was recently in Saudi Arabia and right. I'd never been there before. And, you know, Wearing an abaya and a headscarf was something that is the polite thing to do. Coming from, you know, very Western sort of background in current environment, you know, a lot of my friends were, well, did that feel very odd? And it, it sort of did, but not really because it, I wanted very much to be polite mm -hmm. and to fit in and to be respectful. Yeah. And, you know, it's a different way of sort of dressing up. Yeah. I like to think that we dress up for the environments we're in. We don't wear the same things to, you know, a very posh wedding that we do to a football game. Right. Um, but I think cultural difference is one that we also need to explore and think about and be polite with and yeah. engage with. I think it's very, very important. So the human condition and human interaction has just been, it's kind of a part of your DNA, it seems. You're just always observing it and aware of it and very interested in, in cohabitating with it. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about how psychology maybe influences your current work? And that might be a great sort of introduction to what human computer, computer interaction is for you today. Sure. So psychology is a vast area. So back in the day, we used to talk about it as sort of the, the biological and perceptual, which is what does the body do? How do you see? How do you hear? And mm -hmm. that's psychology. But then there's developmental. How do you develop from a child? But how do you develop in learning? Mm -hmm. And there's more social. So, you know, how do you interact with others and how do others affect you and how are you part of groups? So in the work that I currently do, with material design for Google, you know, everything from what does an interface look like? So think about your phone. You know, what can you see? What do the colors do? What stands out for you? That's perception. Mm -hmm. You know, if you swipe and move something, how do you perceive that? How does the voice sound to you? That's psychoacoustics, the sound of a voice and how it makes you feel. And then we go to things like problem solving and reasoning. You know, is the information presented in a way that you can read it and you can understand it? Do you know what you're trying to do? Is the task clear? Have you ever picked up your phone and you've got an app and you open it and then you're like, I do not know what to do next. Right. 
psychology will tell you a little bit about what information you need to know in order to do the next thing. Mm -hmm. So there's perception and invitation and problem solving. And then, of course, we go to the social. So, you know, if this app doesn't work and you don't get to talk to the person you want, think about social media. How is that changing the way you interact with people? Mm -hmm. do, you, do you speak to them more frequently, less frequently? How do you feel about yourself and your identity? Do you think that your social media presence puts pressure on you or gives you joy? So we go all the way up to really thinking about the deep psychological emotional states, which is what most people think of when they say psychology. Mm -hmm. But actually, psychology is all about from seeing to hearing to listening to meaning to problem solving and how all of that affects your emotional space as well. It's just amazing. I mean, I've, you know, the, I use my phone all the time. I think about my phone all the time. I think about social media all the time. But really, I mean, you are just looking at all of it from so many different angles, and all of them are psychological. It's it's fascinating to think of it from that. It must be so exciting on a day to day for you, I'm sure. Oh, it absolutely, absolutely is. And you know, people who kind of go to bed with their phones, and it's like their pet and their best friend. Yeah. And if you've ever lost a phone, there's losing the phone because of the information on it. But so many people feel like they've lost a friend and it's that deep crisis. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I'd like to turn to some of the positions that you've held. And, and so our listeners can kind of get a little more of a trajectory of some of the companies that you work for. Of course, we know you currently work for Google as one of the directors of user experience. And can you maybe talk a little bit more about the specifics of that position? I know we just kind of went over the concepts, but mm -hmm. what does a director of user experience do? And how has that position evolved? I know it's evolved quite a bit. Yeah. So what we do, what I do most of the time is I have a fantastic group that works for me with many different skill sets from software engineering to design, to experimental, to anthropology and ethnography, because we want to deeply understand this experience um, of using apps and phones and other devices. Um, but my job is really to come in make sure everybody's clear about what they need to do to partner with product managers, to work with my VP, to see where we're going, to work with the director of the material design system to see where the strategy is. So we build that together and to think about the long-term future and then to help the people in my team understand what they need to do next, get the resources for them to help my boss understand why I need additional resources, maybe more people to do certain things, and to basically prioritize. So there's a huge amount of my work is just listening, watching, understanding where we are with regard to goals, looking at goals and seeing whether they're realistic or not at all or in certain timeframes, and then readjusting as needed if the resources are available or not available. Mm -hmm but also just really people development. Mm. So for me, a big part of my job is making sure every single person on my team understands what they're doing, why they're doing it, that it's important, and that it's part of their career trajectory, mm. as well as part of the product success and Google success. Yeah. So they're part of a bigger thing in the corporation, even if what they feel they're doing is small, and it's really critical, but also part of, we are part of, their career and their life going forward. Yeah. So it has to be mutually beneficial and growth on both sides. That's and my awesome. best people 
My best people are going to grow and they're going to go on. And that is sad, but it's also exactly what needs to happen. Right. It's a little bit of, I know you had some past in academia. It's a little bit of that academia and that mentorship creeping back in, it sounds like. I really believe in that. I believe it's it's a manager's role Mm -hmm. to amplify the people that work for them and to learn from the people that work for them. Um, It just, that's what you should do and have to do. And at a place like Google, you are resourced to do. Google is very, very, very supportive of managers and manager developing management, developing people. The director of user experience position is relatively new and has expanded, if I have heard correctly. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, we had a lot of really great user experience professionals, but the director level, there's only been a couple, there were a couple of people um, appointed to director level, which is the highest level you can get um, in user experience a couple of years ago. And I came in as the first person from the outside Mm -hmm. to get that position. And now um, I think we're up to five now, maybe even more because we're just, you know, we had a round of promotions. Wow. But Google is investing enormously in this user angle, in the human-centered angle, and recognizing that what we need is to bring leadership in um, from other companies and grow our own leadership. So it might be more than five now. Last time I looked, it was five, but it's really exciting for me to see that Google is promoting people and hiring people into this role at very senior levels. That's fantastic. Well, it's time for a musical break. But when we come back, I'd like to continue the conversation about team, building teams, managing teams. I've been I've been eating this information up because I'm really interested in management and leadership and teamwork. So stay tuned to continue for that. I'm, again, you're listening to Thunder 91.1. This is Lynn Vartan. And I've got a few songs to play for you today. The first one is called Me Voy. And it's this amazing group called Ibe that I'm really turned on and passionate about. Um, and so this is Me Voy by Ibe and this is the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1. Y me hunde la lluvia Me besas Sueño y miel en mi boca Sueño y miel en la ropa Cualquiera que te despierto cobra 
Cualquiera que sufre ama fuerte y a húndete Como haga la tierra, húndete Aunque yo me pierda, húndete Dentro de mí quien frase, rezan tú y yo Me miras, soy tuya hasta el amanecer Se nos agotan las horas Me olvido, te olvidas al cerrar los ojos Solo hay melodía Ay. Recuerda All right. Well, welcome back. Uh, this is the Apex Hour. I'm Lynn Vartan. This is Thunder 91.1. And we are joined in the studio by the amazing Dr. Elizabeth Churchill. Welcome back. And one of the things I'd like to talk about was one of the topics we touched on before, which was teamwork. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of what you do is building teams, managing teams, supporting teams, and then uh, working, of course, with teams to make amazing things happen. Can you talk a little bit about your style of leadership? And, and I know you've been saying it may be a little different than the average Joe, but it sounds amazing to me. And so the kinds of things you think about in terms of your leadership and in your team and how that all works. Yeah, sure. Um, I tend to bring people into my team who um, are very curious and who are sort of self-starters in some way. They, they're, they're desperate to learn and they want to learn. I also really emphasize collaboration. So I want you to be really good at what you do and I'm going to support you to develop. We have a job to do for Google, but I also want you to give, you know, an assist to your teammates. Mm -hmm. So I, I strongly foster collaboration mm -hmm. and my sort of way of thinking about things is that, you know, you have a portfolio of work that you do and say 60% of the work is very immediate product focused and we don't really have impact. We're going to get something done. 20% should be things that are a little bit further out for you. And 20% should really be about, you know, you developing the skills and the sensibility and the perspective that will be the future for you and for us potentially. So always about growing. Mm -hmm. And I try to have the team be as diverse as possible and bring their ideas in. Um, I love to talk and I can be a bit loud. So I always tell my folks, you know, you, you get to tell me to like simmer down. Yeah. Um, I like to encourage independence, but collaboration and encourage the idea that you work on my team and you develop and you develop. But if you get to the point where you feel you've grown beyond or your interests have changed, then we're all going to work together to get you into the next space, the next thing you want to do. Mm -hmm. So I really believe in the team, but I try to keep a focus on the individual in the team so that they feel they belong and they can grow and that they are strongly contributing. Mm 
I love the the duality that you foster with confidence and curiosity. I just, mm -hmm. um, I think that as a teacher, I really connect with that and really love that as a message um, for leadership. I know the communication component is also a, a big aspect of things for you. Can you talk about how that manifests itself mm -hmm. in your team and how you help to lead that? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people come in and they're very good at what they do. And they think that their job is to do what they do. And they then get surprised that actually they need to spend, you know, a big chunk of their job actually communicating. So, you know, you might come in and you're a great designer. And, you know, your preference might be to design all day. And you don't, you want to not talk to other people because that's who you are. And I respect that. But I'm going to try and push you to start talking to others about your craft and sharing your rationale for what you do. Um, sharing your rationale will allow you to be reflective but sharing it will also give you confidence when you see others appreciate it. It will develop your rhetorical skills when you see what lands and what doesn't. And it will help the whole team to get more reach, if you like. Now, you could be the kind of person who comes in and you're like, hey, I only want to do the design work 40% of the time. And that is great. I will help you figure out where you want to communicate and how. And where you can bring your skills to the communication design as well. Mm -hmm. So people are different, but the biggest challenge with, you know, young folk coming in is often they think they've got the job to do the thing they're trained in. Mm -hmm. And they have, but they've also got the job to communicate what they're trained in and help level others up and to share the products of their labor and to get those out. And that's the way your team will have big reach. You know, I can't be the only spokesperson for my work and for the team's work. The team, you know, the junior people are going to be having lunch with others. They're going to be, you know, having opportunities to spread the work in other cohorts and other social situations. They're going to go to, you know, happy hour mixers and spreading the word and knowing that they're an ambassador for their work, but also for the team's work amplifies our presence and effectiveness so helping them build confidence that that is their role and helping them have the skills to do the communication and the rhetorical skills to make sure that their great ideas land is beneficial to all. That's fantastic. I love it. I'd like to revisit uh, the end of our, we had a, a, a luncheon today and we were doing a little bit of talk back and you had this great, I, I asked you a question about qualities or traits that you look for in in team members uh, or things that you think that undergraduates were mostly an undergraduate institution here but things that you think that undergraduates or even graduates uh, grad students could be developing and I loved and I know some of it's an overlap uh, from the previous question but I love these four words that if you <laughs> Hopefully you remember them. I can remind you. <laughs> but these four qualities I thought were really special if you could share them with our audience. Sure. So it's curiosity and confidence. Yep. Vanity and voyeurism. Love it. And so the curiosity is, you know, always keep curious. Um, often, you know, when you've had great teachers and you really respect them, you know, you can think that what they say is the answer. And that can dull your natural curiosity because you think the answers are laid out for you. Um, you have to bring your curiosity, your, you know, alternative perspective. Feed that curiosity. Always ask questions. Don't think you have to know. You know, 
be curious. Confidence is related to that because I find a lot of young people come in and they're very, very good, but they don't have the confidence to own that curiosity and own the skill and to be able to say to me, a much more senior person, that is interesting. Why do you think that? Can you help me understand that? Or here's a thought that I had. What do you think of that? So, you know, every encounter needs to be another opportunity for you to learn. So you're curious, eager to learn, you're respectful, you're thoughtful, and you're not treating the other person, no matter how senior, as if they have all the answers that you have to run away and execute on. Right. You know, I want you to be able to bring challenge in the best sense of the word to things. And the vanity and voyeurism is, you know, people, we have to care about ourselves. We have to have some self-nurturing. We have to celebrate our achievements. Yes. And, you know, it's called sort of vanity. I mean, back in the day in Britain, it was like if you talked about yourself, you were vain. By vanity, I mean, take pride in yourself and care. Don't be prideful. Right. But, you know, be be proud of your achievements and let others be proud with you. Yes. And, you know, take away a little bit of a, hey, high five me mm-hmm. in a really kind of lovely, humble, embracing way. Mm-hmm. And voyeurism is all human beings are curious about others. So watch others, see who you want to emulate and who you admire. You know, watch how they do what they do. Try and emulate. Try and learn from them. You know, nobody in the world is the first person to do pretty much anything. You don't have to be the lone, rugged individual. You can learn from others, celebrate their achievements, and take on some kind of doppelgangerness of them and build yourself and learn and then carve your own path from what you've learned from them. And so I think vanity is sort of nurturing self. Voyeurism is observing and nurturing others and learning from others. Yeah, I love those four. I just love those traits. I just, I'm definitely going to steal those and, and use those words in, in my teaching. Because of course, it's cross dip- discipline. I mean, that can just as easily apply to music instruction, which is what I do and, and as it, as it can to what you do in your discipline as well. So thank you so much for those concepts. Absolutely. I'd like to now talk a little bit. I know I understand that you have had a fantastic experience with eBay and you <laughs> think very fondly of your time at eBay. Can you tell me a little bit about that time and about what made it so special for you? Well, it was about people, really. So firstly, you know, the team I worked with, was they were amazing. But also, you know, eBay was the first social platform. It was the first place that was the first marketplace. It was the first social platform, right? And eBay was putting people in touch with each other around goods, you know, the circulation of goods, things that you don't want anymore, but I do. Mm-hmm. So it's about value. And it's about honoring things. It's about valuing materiality in a really good way. Right. So all of the sort of sustainability stuff, all of the value stuff, you pass something on that had value to you, and now it has value to someone else. Um, eBay is also, you know, it's allowed a, a lot of people who otherwise would not have been able to have businesses right. create businesses. Mm. There are a lot of wonderful stories of, you know, single moms who sold stuff on eBay and made a little bit of money and kept themselves going. There's a lot of mom and pop stores who basically, you know, they were maybe in somewhere very rural, but they got to have outreach and a customer base way beyond. 
So, you know, eBay has seen its ups and downs, but as a value system, as a company that really is trying to circulate goods that exist and have meaning for people and put people in touch with people, um, I just found it really exciting to be part of that. Yeah. Do you have a favorite memory from your time there or a favorite mm. story? I'm sure there are many. So I have a favorite story, which was about somebody had created something great. Game of Thrones is a big thing. Yeah. I personally don't watch it, but it's a big thing. And so somebody had created an, a chain armor guinea pig or hamster. It was guinea pig or hamster suit. The, the, for the actual animal. For, for the animal. Oh. <laughs> and they put it on eBay. And somebody picked this up. And it became a meme that just went around because it was so well made and so silly and so fun that somebody picked it up and it went in for charity. And so it started to snowball and snowball. And I think they made like $20,000 for this guinea pig chain mail outfit, which went to charity. Fantastic. And there were things like that happening on eBay every day, all day. Quirky things, fun things. Yeah. And stories about, you know, I found a plate that, you know, my mum would have had. And now I have the plate and it reminds me of my mum. And, you know, I'd never thought I'd see a plate like that again. So it's really deeply emotional as well as super practical. Yeah. Um, and it's those stories that really warmed my heart. That's just beautiful. And you have just such wonderful memories from there, it sounds like. Your, I think it was your first major position was at Fuji Xerox. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how, how that was and the transition from being a student into that position or into your first sort of mm -hmm. full-time thing? Well, I start, well, my studentship went on to be a postdoc. So I did my uh -oh. PhD, then I did my postdoc, and then I really wanted to go into academia. But um, Fuji Xerox as a company had a research lab called FXPAL, F-X-P-A-L, in Silicon Valley. And I knew people who sort of were affiliated to it. And so I was all set to go into academia, but I'd been working on virtual environments and remote communication. And FXPAL had a role they wanted to try and build communication between researchers in California and researchers in Japan, just outside Tokyo. And so I was one of the few people at that time who'd been thinking about these virtual environments and um, chat spaces and so forth for communication and collaboration. And so they asked me to come over and I came over and built a research team um, and worked with other more senior researchers to build communication tools to allow collaboration between researchers in California and in Japan. That was how that all started. Yeah. And my intention had always been to go back into academia. But uh, FXPAL was very supportive and they allowed me to keep um, publishing and doing work with students. And um, I continued to do classes here and there and supervise students. So I kind of got the best of both worlds. That's perfect. Well, on that note, it's time for another musical break. Um, the next song that I have for you is the incredible Esperanza Spalding. And this is the song I Know You Know, which is, uh, that's the title of the song, but most of you probably have heard this song. It's one of her sort of breakout hits. And she's just the amazing bass player, uh, jazzer, singer, also songwriter, but just an um, incredible artist who has taken the world by storm in these past few years. So um, this is Esperanza Spalding. The song is I Know You Know, and you are listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. 
Okay, well, welcome back. This is the Apex Hour. My name is Lynn Vartan, and I am joined in the studio with the lovely Dr. Elizabeth Churchill. Welcome back. Hi. So now I'd like to get into some more sort of conceptual things that um, we've been talking about over the last couple of days, but I think are really interesting and really timely. Um, as a, a woman in computing, in science, in psychology, can you talk a little bit about, um, and especially in the context of today, Me Too and everything, can you talk a little bit about your experiences, how difficult, if they've been difficult, maybe how things have changed? or not. Um, just talk a little bit about your experience as a woman in your in your field. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, there's certainly been challenges. Um, I think things are changing. Um, and, you know, when I started out, so there's a really interesting blog post I read recently. When I started out right at the beginning, I was um, doing artificial intelligence. And, you know, that was my master's. 
and there were very few women and it was challenging and it was challenging because of my confidence and I just felt like I wasn't as loud and as brash and I couldn't push and I, I felt like an imposter. Mm. <laughs> I felt like I didn't really belong. Now, for various reasons, as the masters, as I went on through my masters, the balance changed and more women came in and I really noticed a difference. Oh. And so that experience has always colored my mind, which is that whoever you are, women tend to be in a minority in tech. But if you're any kind of minority in any situation where the dominant sort of group in this instance, white men tend mm -hmm. to be associated with tech. But if you're anyone who doesn't, you know, feel like you fully belong, you're doing more work, you're doing emotional labor mm. just to feel like you belong. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that experience very early on has always colored my mind. Um, and I've certainly had challenges and I've certainly seen other people have challenges. There are extreme challenges, which led to the beginning of the Me Too. Right. There's, you know, physical violence and then there's emotional violence. And then there's not being given the same resources as others. And then there's being blocked. Right. And I read a thing recently about women CEOs are often set up to fail by they're brought in to companies that are already failing. Hmm. There's also data that shows that women CEOs have less latitude to take risks and are asked to um, show success metrics faster mm -hmm. than men CEOs. I see. So these biases are endemic. They're, they're, they're everywhere. And they are more or less insidious. And so as a woman in any kind of industry, I think there's a range of challenges we face. And I think Me Too is a way of starting a dialogue. And it's a way of getting awareness raised. Where we are going to see real change is in infrastructure, insisting on parity when it comes to pay, insisting on fairness when it comes to promotion, and insisting on emotional intelligence being leveled up for everybody, including ourselves. So as a woman, I need to often engage in questioning myself as to whether, am I bringing fear to the table? Ah, Am I bringing judgment to the table or is this actually about gender? And so self-reflection and personal emotional intelligence has to be in tandem with leveling up the emotional intelligence of the organizations and the culture. Um, so I think we have a responsibility to bring sound, to bring awareness and to bring our own learning and to help teach others. I love that. And I love your concept of the importance of emotional intelligence and, and how, how that responsibility does fall to the individual in order to battle some of these larger issues. Mm -hmm. So that's really amazing. Um, I am completely enamored with your writing on, on your website. And, um, I, I know that you were joking a little bit that it's maybe not quite as up to date as you might like, but I just have been so, I've been enjoying it as well. And your titles are amazing. And just to kind of, um, they have just sort 
of a twinkle in them. And just to kind of share some with, with our listeners and definitely, hopefully, entice you to want to read more. But one title you have is Giggling, Gossiping, and Gifting, Essentials for Social Connection. Um, another one is Tipping a Cow and Other Internet Folklore. Um, and then an- another one, Mind the Gap, Identifying Gaps in Online Dating Services. Your your writing is just so witty and so fun and and just so sharp at the same time. There was one article that really caught my attention and we've been talking a little bit about it, and it has to do with cheer um, and uh, about cheer and positivity as a concept. And I think it's maybe interesting to tie it back to your confidence discussion because you are talking about a lot. We've talked about confidence, about that, that vanity of, of building yourself up. And, um, but maybe if you could reflect on, on cheer or being cheerful and, and if you have any thoughts about that, either about the blog or how you feel about it now as you like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this sort of came about because I was thinking about um, everyone worrying that they have to feel cheerful on social media. Yeah. Um, and I think that's an enormous pressure. And, you know, I, I do think, you know, washing all of one's laundry in public might be not the best move forward. But I do think being allowed to be honest and have a landscape of being, again, emotional and emotional intelligence about how one presents that and asks for help or whatever is really important. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that we have to be cheerful is just really oppressive, I think. But, you know, equally, um, I I think reading a lot of stuff online that's not cheerful, that's, say, from the news, not even on social media, I've given myself permission to only read the news at certain times and only when I'm feeling robust enough to do it. That's great. I know. I just think sometimes it's just so depressing and I want to know what's going on, but I try not to feed on the stuff that's going to actually make me really unhappy. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things we know is that the most effective advocates for change in positive sense are the people who manage their own energy. Oh, wow. That's great. You know, if, if you're just reading negative, 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 it will bring you down because you're an empathic, kind, sweet person. Mm-hmm. You can't help but not cry when you hear about some of the terrible things that have happened in the last couple of weeks. Right. Now, just as having to prove yourself as cheerful all the time online is just really draining. Taking on negative stuff all of the time is really draining. And so I think staying cheerful but realistic back to the confidence and self-nurturing is critical in these times because the best advocates, the best pioneers, the best, you know, at anything are the people who can bring a positive attitude while having a realistic grasp. Mm -hmm. And being cheerful is a huge thing. Every psychological study will tell you that the best therapy for, you know, your abs as well as your heart and head is laughter. Yeah. So be with your friends, laugh, and even if something terrible is going on in the world, acknowledge it, note it, and then bake in some laughter into your day and some cheer. Don't go down the rabbit hole of negative review after review after review of the news. Don't go down the rabbit hole of presenting yourself inauthentically as cheerful, but go out with your friends and genuinely generate real cheer. That's a 
That's great advice. Do you have any other suggestions for, I mean, how do you, I mean, is that the answer? Just getting out with friends. Do you have any other suggestions for if you feel, if you're feeling yourself sort of being pulled down that rabbit hole, what other things, what other tools do you use? Um, I really do just turn off media. Like Mm. I turn the computer off. I turn the phone off. Um, and we were talking at lunch, but, um, you know, I, I believe in trying to meditate mm-hmm. and by meditate, I just mean sit away in a quiet space and put your sit bones on the ground, as they say, and ground your body, go for a walk, do some exercise because, you know, where the human body and brain, the brain is really powerful and it will not stop. Right. That frontal lobe will keep going. But you are a body and your centered body needs to go out and be taken for a walk. (laughs) You need to come back into the body. And that's what laughter will do. It'll bring you can't laugh without your belly moving. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and just, you know, if it's a walk or a swim or yoga, you know, when you're feeling really, really stressed and you think you have to do everything, that's the time. That's the time. When you need that 10 minute, 15 minute, 20 minute, 15 minutes minimum, break away, go for a walk, Mm -hmm. breathe, stand up and reach your arms out and around and then go and find someone to giggle with. Oh my gosh, I love that. Well, speaking of giggling, in my voracious reading of your website and blog, I found a song related to this that you nicknamed your earworm that kind of gets in there. And so we're going to play that song for you today. It's called Reasons to be Cheerful, Part 3. And the artist is Ian Dury and the Blockheads. And this is the Apex Hour. Um, I'm here. This is Lynn Vartan. I'm here with Dr. Elizabeth Church. And you're listening to Thunder 91.1. Reasons to be cheerful, part three. Summer buddy Holly, the working folly, good golly Miss Molly, and boats. Hammersmith Pally, the Bolshoi Bally, jump back in the alley, add nanny goats. 80 millers camels, Dominica camels, all other mammals plus equal boats. Seeing Piccadilly, Fanny Smith and Willie, being rather silly, and porridge oats. A bit of grin and bear it, a bit of come and share it. You're welcome, we can spare it. Yellow socks, too short to be haughty, too nutty to be naughty. Going on 40, no electric shots. The juice of the carrot, the smile of the parrot, a little drop of claret, anything that works. Elvis and Scotty, days when I ain't spotty, sitting on the potty, curing smallpox. Reasons to be cheerful. Reasons to be cheerful. Part three. Reasons to be cheerful. Part three. Reasons to be cheerful. One, two, three. Reasons to be cheerful. Part three. Health service glasses, gigolos and brasses, round or skinny bottoms. Take him on to Paris, lighting up the chalice, wee Willie Harris. Bantu Stephen Beeple, listening to Rico, Harpo Groucho Chico. Cheddar cheese and pickle, the Vincent Motorcycle, slap and tickle. 
Woody Allen Dolly, Dimitri and Pasquale, Bala 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 and Valari. Something else to study, phoning up a buddy, being in my nutty. Saying okie dokie, sing along a smokey, coming out a chokey. John Coltrane Soprano, Eddie Chalampano, Bona Carino. Reasons to be cheerful, part three. Reasons to be cheerful, part three. Reasons to be cheerful, part three. Reasons to be cheerful. One, two, three. Yes, yes, dear, dear. Perhaps next year, or maybe even never. In which case? Okay, well, welcome back to the Apex Hour. Uh, this is Lynn Vartan, and you are listening to Thunder 91.1. That song was Reasons to be Cheerful, Part 3, by Ian Dury and the Blockheads, inspired by my guest, Dr. Elizabeth Churchill, who likes that song, not only for the catchy tune, but also the sentiment, Reasons to be Cheerful. We were having a great conversation about reasons to be cheerful. So welcome back, Dr. Churchill. Thanks. We just have maybe five minutes left. And this is what most people are saying is their favorite part of the show, which is what's turning you on this week. So is there something, it could be a book or a TV show or a movie or a podcast or an album or anything? What's what's turning you on? What's exciting you this week? Gosh, well, there's lots exciting me, I have to say. So one of the most exciting things was flying in yesterday to Salt Lake. Oh, my gosh, the mountains and the views. I'm a wannabe photographer. Oh. 
And so when I see a beautiful scene like that, it was so amazing. And that will stick with me, you know, in my mind. So that sort of inspired me to go and think about doing some more photography. Um, I also, I'm late to the game, but I started watching The Crown. Oh, I've heard amazing things. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, it's very well done. Highly recommended. Okay. Um, So, you know, yes, I, I really love the characters and the character development. So I have to kind of try to not focus on that and go back to work of an evening these days. Um, I'm also reading a book called uh, Design Meets Disability. Oh. And it's a very nice book from MIT Press. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot right now about the idea of how design gets pushed by people who are Mm other-abled. I talked about Mm -hmm. that a little bit in my talk today. But that is a really nicely written book. And it's pretty accessible, but it also sort of draws in all kinds of art. Um, so the intersection of art, technology, and design, and the way in which artists are really pushing the boundaries to inspire us to think differently, mm-hmm. that's been very much on my mind uh, this week in terms of my reading. Great. And what was the name of that book? And one more time? Design Meets Disability. Design Meets Disability. And then I have one last question that I like to ask people, and that is, Can you think of something that is what you would call the best advice that you were ever given that you could share with us? It's some advice that many people have given me all through my life, and they've used various words and terms, but it's chill out, Elizabeth. Just chill out. Because I tend to be a little bit enthusiastic about everything and running in five directions. And people will often just say, hey, hey, Elizabeth, just chill out. Just take a breath. I love it. I think we all could use that advice. I know, I know I can. And I'm sure my team is saying, yes, you can. So I'm going to think that same thing too. Chill out, Lynn. So with that, we will say goodbye for, for the week. Um, I first want to just say thank you so much for the generosity of your time and for uh, just the outreach to our students, to our community, to our faculty, and just being so generous with um, sharing your thoughts and ideas. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks. And that's the end of our show today. If you are on campus, I want to make a shout out to another event that's starting in about five minutes. And it's a panel discussion about the humanities. And uh, the official title is Why Do the Humanities Matter? And I will be running over there to be a part of that panel discussion, along with several other faculty members on campus. It's in the Hunter Conference Center in the Yankee Meadows Room, and it starts at 4pm. And so if you're around and want to find out what's the deal with the humanities, why are they important? Why should we care? Or if you're an advocate for the humanities and want to say, yes, this is the reasons why we care, come and join us uh, in the great in, in the Hunter Conference Center in the Yankee Meadows room. And um, so that's That's it for today for the Apex Hour. We're going to sign off and say thank you for listening. And this is Thunder 91.1 KSUU. So much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu slash apex or email us at suuapex at icloud.com. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.